hey, we're the good Asians, we're the good immigrants, and we study hard and we excel. And if other immigrant groups aren't succeeding, they just need to try harder. That's a particularly toxic narrative that can be carried in Indian communities. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. I had to figure out how to communicate with people. Uh, and I actually knew English because I went to a school that taught English. And I thought I thought I thought I knew English, but I came here and I knew the British English, which is different from American English in small and big ways. Small ways. I remember one time somebody asked me what grade I was in. It's like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, what is grade? Because in the British system, we talk about standards. So first standard, second standard, third standard. Mm-hmm. And that communication gap was felt so large, even though I knew English, because I couldn't answer some basic questions uh, when people were trying to ask me. Or when you call trucks lorries, and that's what I learned in uh, India. That's what the British say. Uh, and when people were talking about trucks, I had no idea. So these big gaps was like, also shocked me that I thought I knew a language that seemed different here too. So I guess your profession was already decided for you, right? Because. (laughs) Yeah, you know that. Yeah. The journey to my profession was that, hey, Raj, you're going to be a doctor. You better decide which one you want to be when you grow up. Right. Uh, No, and I can see the benefit in that because you guys already have the, the experience of like, you know, your parents doing it, people in your, your uncles and aunts, probably the experience that comes with you being able to tap into that as you go along that profession, as opposed to someone who's journeying on a path for the first time, it can be challenging. So I, I see the benefit in doing that too. But what if it's really not what you like and you really, really hate it? Then, then here comes the downside. <laughs> it's like arranged marriage, Simone, right? <laughs> that's another story (laughs) yeah there's uh there's some trust and faith in when you're choosing something that you're not sure if you chose for yourself that's why i used the metaphor of arranged marriage because there's some part of your elders knowing what's best for you not saying they're always right either way in my story that i did choose to become a doctor although i studied business and had some other experiences, ended up being a family medicine doctor. My evolution has been attempting to figure out what it means to be a doctor because coming from an immigrant family, I think this is also a common theme. You came from scarcity sometimes into a place where you had to build a life and make a name for yourself, which meant there was a lot of how can I support myself and my family? And what does that look like with money and resources? And my transformation has been, what does it actually mean for me to care for my community? Because I think I'm actually quite privileged now. And I don't need that same philosophy of life or mindset that my parents had uh, at this stage or at this um, storyline of our family history. Right, right. Yeah, no, I actually made a post recently about individual aspiration like balancing that with like a global impact or being altruistic right with the community back home or whoever you see as your community that you'd like to 
you know, support um, balancing that is, is, it could be interesting in that immigrant experience too, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, the that community idea, especially with the Asian Americans, specifically Indian community, it's challenging the Indian community to show up for other communities because they do have a sense of this model minority myth that some of the Asian communities carry, which is that hey, we're the good Asians, we're the good immigrants, and we study hard and we excel. And if other immigrant groups aren't succeeding, they just need to try harder. That's a particularly toxic narrative that can be carried in Indian communities, too. I feel like I've seen that. So part of my role has been challenging my own community here to support other communities um, locally, whether that's other immigrant communities or people who have suffered from racism in our country. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. And so I, I think I'm intrigued by wondering, um, like, what is that immigrant experience for um, a child who feels like their profession was decided? And now you're in the American space where you're able to choose love, but perhaps culturally, you know that you probably are the word betro- betrothed. Am I saying that right? <laughs> or you're already like, you're already attached to somebody else. So you, you know, just keep your face to your schoolwork and you know that you're already, you know, assigned to someone else. Like, what is that experience like? It's some ways easier, some ways more difficult. It's easy, as you said, because the path is set. I feel like people experience a lot of dissonant and existential crisis trying to figure out what do I want to do in this world? (laughs) What is the right fit for me? How will I know? For me, I, had that decided for good or sub- for good or bad, which meant that I had the freedom to think about other questions. As I said, like, what does it mean to help my community? What does it mean to contribute in that way? Because I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> so let's think about other questions. What kind of doctor do I want to be? Because even becoming a doctor in in my immediate community was a way to accumulate wealth for your family and achieve stability in your profession because that was my original grandfather's dream because he was suffering so much he wanted our family to not suffer as he did and have stability in their life and doctor was a way to make money and have a stable profession going back to that family story and phase of our family history i didn't think i needed to carry that with me because i felt overall stable so i didn't need to become the most specialized physician that made a lot of money. I could be a family medicine clinician and have deeper ties to the community because um, that's just how the profession was. Right. So your your sort of kind of self-actualization then, actually the privilege of considering, am I really aligned to this versus the more pragmatic, you know, finances and make them more money whether it makes you happy or not you're able to consider your joy from that so that's that's also very nice right yeah Mm -hmm. um as a privilege after yeah we I think we've been able to do that too where I'm at the point of thinking about my the next generation my daughter and nieces and nephews and saying to myself well I would like for them to push and like you know grind and do all the stuff that I probably had to do but then I, on the other hand, I'm like, well, but they don't necessarily need to do that. And probably they probably don't even have the drive that I probably had because they're coming into the world with a different set of um, um, baseline 
right? Um, mm -hmm. Different, more level ground to stand on and, and, um, and different experiences. So they probably don't even necessarily have that drive to even go after things like we probably would have, but, and do they even have to? I'm not sure. I'm really contemplating it and just being concerned that I hope that they make healthy choices. And they say wealth leaves families after so many generations. And so I wonder with so many, uh, like in your own, like Indian community, does it actually stay or you find that it actually leaves after people come into the, the American experience, I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty early in the story. <laughs> I'm first generation, so. Yes, yeah. okay, okay. But I mean, just largely in the community, do you find, do yeah. you hear of other stories or does it actually stay um, within the community? Not necessarily your personal story. Does it actually stay or you find that people tend to make they get to the point where they're not making wise decisions as the generation before, right? Yeah, I think that's very common because you don't have that drive and you underestimate how hard life can be because you were cushioned from most of the difficulties. And this is such an expected phenomenon where as a parent who's grinded and hustled to make life how it is, your goal was to protect your children and let them have a better life, which also meant they actually didn't feel the hustle and grind that you went through. Then mm -hmm. as they get older, they don't understand that you do have to hustle and grind sometimes because we were protecting you and you need that skill. And some people don't have that skill. So then you lose wealth that way. And I don't, I don't know if there's been studies on it. Like, what is that cycle? And then where do you start again of like, uh, which generation then builds that skill to um, build back wealth? Of course, there's always families with generational wealth that no matter what you do, the wealth is in your family <laughs> and it continues. Uh, and I think in America, you know, we talk about that as quote unquote old money <laughs> where you're just always rich or have wealth. So that's probably true to a certain extent. But I think it's definitely also true that, people do lose that stability. Um, and the question, I mean, as a parent is always like, how do you protect and keep your children safe, which you've always wanted to, but also teach them the work ethic and everything to make sure they are successful and contributing to this world in a way that's positive. Yes, right. Yeah. So I'm contemplating that myself as I now have a child being raised in this different environment from the one I was raised in and how much yeah. of the the previous world do you uh, uh, kind of inculcate? How much of that do you somewhat force on them and make sure that it's a part of who they are and, and that they don't lose themselves? And, and then the worry of just kind of letting back, letting up a little bit and not pressure, adding so much pressure and allowing them the freedom of becoming who they are. But then the worry that, my gosh, they could lose themselves if you give them too much room. Yep, you know, exactly. I, I see that immigrant experience uh, kind of pressure when we're parents raising children in this country. So whew, yeah. like what were some challenges or opportunities that came along as you started pursuing your your profession? So your parents were, were here. They were doctors. So I imagine that you had somewhat of a solid foundation already set for you. Right. So what, what in your, as a person in your shoes, what, what are, what would be considered challenges for you? Kind of my shoes were set, but healthcare has changed tremendously and the health 
healthcare that I was entering was different from what my parents were used to. We could dive into this question a lot of how healthcare has changed, including the consolidation. There's no private practices anymore. And my dad is a private practice doc. I work for a bigger organization. The challenge I faced was that healthcare wasn't as fulfilling as they wanted to be. Being a doctor wasn't, especially seeing patients every 15, 20 minutes and prescribing medications. It wasn't what it was sold out to be <laughs> of helping people and healing people. I realized that pretty early on in my career. It's partly why I became a primary care physician because it gave some opportunity to gave me some opportunity to practice medicine and it allowed me to also say the community's health is also important. So I will collaborate with community organizations. I will work on policy changes because all these levels of health are ultimately contributing contributing to individual level of health outcomes. So that frustration that I initially felt like, wow, like in this 15 minutes, I'm supposed to solve your problem of not affording insulin because you're really poor and you weren't able to get a job. And what am I supposed to do for your diabetes? Or you just had a seizure and you're in a mobile home and you can't drive anywhere. And I'm telling you, you have to take your medicine, but you can't go anywhere to take your medicine, right? These are, there's so many parts to this, but often it is like there's life, social and structural causes that's causing somebody's suffering. And me in a clinic visit, and I'm not able to help them as much as I wanted to. And the second is that education in healthcare is so focused on the scientific inquiry, which is important. Obviously, that's how we have antibiotics and it can do some amazing things. But it discounted the person that were that was receiving care, including their values, beliefs, and cultural background. And being an immigrant, uh, I could feel that where I wasn't supposed to think about those things or the cultural competence piece was just a little like module like a class that we took for two weeks <laughs> for some reason I'm supposed to understand all cultures uh, with something like that so my journey has been yes I'm a doctor I provide clinical care I take care of babies and the elderly and I also do some other work to help improve our healthcare system and our organization that I'm with Yes, right, right. Very, very, I'm sure very much needed work. Do you want to share more about cultural competency and the work that you're doing now? Or um, should we um, going to that at a later point? It's up to you. We can do it now or later. So speaking of cultural competency in healthcare, Raj, can you educate us about what you're seeing? And um, you mentioned you only had a two-week class and how unprepared you were really to really understand the wider the number of cultures that are in the United States, right? I'm not sure. I actually haven't done the research, but um, it's a very diverse country. Like we have people in probably every country around the world here, right? And um, there's a population that needs to be served. And I know it's probably very difficult for the U.S. to figure out how to address each of these communities, right? Um, I know it's, it's not easy. But so what are you seeing in your profession and experience? There's a policy level solution to this, which is that if you achieve some kind of congruence between the healthcare workforce and the communities, care will be better because we know people immigrate 
and I think you've talked about this in your podcast too, um, who immigrate here often give up their original jobs. So they were doctors in their country, but now they're taxi drivers or they had a PhD in their country and now they are, are a storekeeper. There's some work to be done there of how do you integrate people from those professions because they can add so much value to healthcare and this idea of cultural competence. The second is that oh, that's a dream and there's a lot of work to be done. We need all clinicians to be a little more educated in understanding different cultures and cultural competence as a field uh, has failed in many ways because it focused so much on the competence part and it was created by this knowledge creation process of healthcare of being academic. What I mean by that is that hey, I'm going to go study your community spoon and then tell you what I think is important. And then I'm going to give a checklist to my doctors that they can finish in a module, maybe 15, 20 minutes, because they're pretty busy. And then they'll be ready to care for you. It was so reductive and so short-sighted. I think it missed what it really meant to give care that's culturally appropriate. That field evolved from cultural competence to humility, where it was so much... It was more focused on what am I bringing to the table of what are my values and beliefs and approaching the whole topic humbly of this is going to be a lifelong journey and have to be open to change, have to be curious and work with others. And then the additional paradigm that shifted that field is understanding the structural causes, which is that some communities suffer disproportionately because of historical factors that is still affecting them whether that is war in their own country that led them here and their family has suffered or their uh, local communities that they got kicked out of their own state or country, which is, for example, the native Hawaiian community who migrated to Washington state because tourism made their land too expensive. So they suffer from huh? land displacement. Yeah. Right. And missing their home a lot. And we don't talk about that enough. And when I talk about mental health, that is a big part of mental health for them, but we don't approach that topic. So cultural community and safety makes room for that too, because it's important to bring those topics into the clinic room or healthcare to care for them. So that's the journey I've been on. I, I created a podcast because when you're doing this podcast, it's such a great way to build relationships, find moments of healing and amplify other people's voices. And I was able to address this problem of like, I'm studying your community uh, by saying, hey, I'm curious, like, what do you think is the most important for your community? And then give the mic to the community member, whether it's Somali, Ethiopia, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, and then understand culture that way, which I find is way more meaningful and authentic to what people really want to hear. Wow. So much needed uh, work, um, Raj, and I encourage people to check out the podcast and, and see what you might learn, you know, in the work that you're doing. Are you seeing changes, I guess, in the larger healthcare industry? Like, are people even interested? Are they listening? They are interested. Believe it or not, it took a long time for health equity to be an important topic in healthcare. And in the last few years, I think it's been socialized enough. Health equity, meaning that if you are a certain race or part of a certain community, you have worse outcomes, period. 
And it's important to recognize that, quantify it and acknowledge it, because then you need to reflect on what can you do better. Because within institutions, often there's a similar pattern of if you're from a certain community, your diabetes is worse controlled, you have less cancer screenings and you die earlier. There can be a lot of causes for that. But getting healthcare systems to recognize that this is an important part of health and we have accountability to help address that. So it's been socialized now. I think the question is, how do you actually make the change to improve these outcomes? I think people are finding small ways to do that. And it's going to take some time because it took a long time to get where we are, which has led to some really hard problems like distrust from communities too, uh, distrust that healthcare actually is there to help them. So people don't come to us uh, for care. And I think with the with the guests that I've interviewed, I can sense that reluctance and some solutions they're coming up with, which is also important for healthcare professionals to hear, like community health boards where their own community leaders have a health board, which is more trusted than a healthcare system going in and talking about COVID or COVID vaccines. So having a health board represented by your own people and people you trust talk about that topic uh, is resonates and people understand that a lot better. Yes, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned COVID because I remember the conversations of and concerns when the when we're in the midst of the pandemic and how many communities are not going to be taking the vaccine because they really don't trust based on historical and 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 valid information of what has happened yeah. in the past and you know rightly so we get that so i'm glad that there's conversation people are doing research on the topic you're talking about it and working with it every day to see what can be can move the needle towards really uh, providing the help um, and address people's cultural needs, um, yep. right? Okay, so moving along to, you know, I wonder how do you manage the pressure of being a first-generation immigrant? Which pressures? <laughs> I know, it's, they're buried, right? Yeah, I think that one, that uh, because the one that I'm experiencing acutely is the one that I brought up to you of what, kind of life am I building for my children? And what do I want to teach them? What do I want to model for them? How do I keep them connected to my culture still when they're becoming more and more American? They love mac and cheese, not dosas and oppums. Oh. <laughs> you know? And That's I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. And I can't cook as well as that. So it's like, how do I troubleshoot this? You know, I don't have my grandma cooking here every day. How do I get them to feel connected to those parts? And that pressure of being first generation feels important and acute to me um, with parenting. Yes. Yes. I get that. I get, yes. I was thinking about and the pressure to not mess up, you know, to make sure that you're successful because, you know, this is going to be reflecting on the family and on our community. And, you know, that pressure, it's not only you, if you mess up, it's going to impact everybody. <laughs> so just pay attention and do the work that you're supposed to do. I mean, I, I that was part of the weight I was carrying. <laughs> and yeah, um, I think it's a real weight because I think it, it doesn't acknowledge our need for self-care because we were taught from little to work as hard as you can <laughs> and to be a success. This idea of self-care is hard. And I feel like that pressure is real to me. And I have to learn what it means to rest. And have fun in a way that feels good and not work more and more because I grew up 
in the with this need that's inside of me to succeed <laughs> yes it's true and and part of the conversation i think that i'm trying to have too is be, for me i feel like i've become kind of like this entity where it's almost like you're not necessarily a person anymore like you're this successful entity and there are these expectations of you and i don't know you're expected to hold the line not mess up support, be altruistic, and do all of these cultural expectations of you, but people don't really, <laughs> it's sad, but my only language for it right now, they, they don't really see your humanity is part of like what I'm trying to express or, or my recent realization is like, you know, these people just really, they just want you to play a certain role of this success, successful person in the family. And they don't necessarily <laughs> care about your humanity and the fact that, you know, you, you have bad days and that you struggle or that you're still sorting your own personal life out. They just, they just want you to provide financial support in the expectation that they have of you. And okay, you're successful. So we don't really care. Just send the money. Oh you know, God. and they're yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. necessarily caring. Care, you're just this entity, this successful entity. You're in America, the land of uh, milk and honey. And, um, you know, just play that role. We don't want to hear it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we are projecting onto you, right? Yeah. Yeah, because they've had to walk through fire or worse. Yeah. And yeah. so what are you complaining about? Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's why I think it links to this idea of acknowledging the need for rest because it implicitly says like you're complaining about how life is hard when your life's not that hard, <laughs> right? Like we've been through way worse. Right. Yes. And so, but it's funny, but we, I'm unraveling or unwrapping things that perhaps the previous or generation previous to them, perhaps it was a luxury that they didn't have to dig deep and uproot some of the things because it, it does take work to become a healthy person and not to carry yeah. on some of those generational traumas or whatever it is that's in every family. It takes work for you to, to look it in the face, work on it and to make healthy choices and to change your behavior. But for them, they probably think it's just a luxury and you're just a spoiled kid, but there's a lot of work and effort that comes with doing that and becoming this healthy version of yourself or your family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We talked about the healthcare and cultural competencies, competency and the work that you're doing. And I wonder then if you had any faux pas or humorous, moments of your journey right that you would like to share with us that you're like oh wow I did this and I just laughed at myself or now I laugh about it but you know we all make mistakes and not to be so hard on ourselves as as immigrants I think I remember the first time I saw an American toilet if people haven't been to India they actually have toilets that are on the ground and you squat on them I remember when I was eight I came to America and then I was faced with this toilet that I'd never seen before. And I thought you were supposed to squat on it. So I climbed up and tried to squat on it. <laughs> and then I slipped and fell. My parents came knocking on the door. I was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, but this is really hard to get up on. <laughs> like, you don't need to be putting your feet up top and squatting. I was like, yeah, it was really hard to balance. 
Like you just sit on it. And I was like, what? You just sit on it? <laughs> it was so uh, novel to me because at that time, the only toilet I had used, they said, is one of those, uh, we call it Eastern toilets. I don't know what it's called, but you squat on the ground. And I didn't even think that it was like considered so dirty that you can only put your feet there. And this idea of like, you put your butt where everybody else puts your butt, <laughs> like understanding all these like, like concepts that I like didn't make sense to me. Uh, I just remember that being a major uh, social learning for me when I first came here. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing <laughs> that, Raj. That's, that's a good one. Um, but you know, interestingly now, healthcare, as we're talking about healthcare, which is your space, they're basically now saying that research shows that, that the posture that you're in when you bend down that low is the posture that is best for you to actually do a bowel movement, right? Forgive me. Yep. I hope that I'm yeah. saying that appropriately for the airways, <laughs> right? Because when you sit on the, the very regular, like more modern style of toilets, right? It's hard for you to actually, your body to release what it needs to. But whenever you're in, they actually have these potty stools that I own two of that I put under my feet so that it actually creates a certain posture once you're actually sitting. So your body releases what it needs to do. So it's interesting, right? I mean, it seems like the culture has it right. And now we're just catching up to like, that is the best part of, um, of, uh, being able to do that in a, in a health dynamic. Yep, exactly. Yep. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. But I wanted to see if you want, you had any parting words of uh, encouragement or advice, any rules of success that you've now come to know that you wish you knew in the past that you'd like to leave any immigrant listening to your story um, about how to navigate this country and just to be, um, you know, have a peaceful journey because it can be hectic for for a lot of us. I would leave listeners with find humor in in the experience that you're going through, and understand that many other people are having similar experiences because it can feel so lonely at times because we are such a isolated country with individual experiences and we don't connect to that level or it's not easy to that just acknowledging there's some common humanity and a common immigrant experience, if you have that space to, can be freeing. Whether it's like toilet of how to use it or this over uh, hyped expectation of success that you're never expected to fail, whatever it is, um, just holding that as a belief can be helpful. Uh, and I will plug in uh, my podcast. You can look at, uh, you can check out my podcast at healthcareforhumans.org or any podcasting platforms. If you're interested in community voices, uh, specifically on how to care for different communities, or you have a doctor that just doesn't get it and you want them to listen to something, know that this resource exists. Uh, thank you so much for making time for me, Simone. Oh, it's been a pleasure uh, listening to your story and going on this journey with you, Raj. Thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing your heart with us, okay? Yep, thank you again. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. 
Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.